0: All right, what up? It's Justin, and this is episode 22 of the Survival of the Artist podcast. And we are in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic, but I have some great news. I have interviewed Mac Lethal, and I've known about Mac Lethal since 2005 when I was in high school, and I got a burned copy of of his album, Love Potion 3, by my best friend. And since then, I have been hooked on his music. Eventually, I went on to book him to come to Staten Island and do a show as part of the Broken Records music festival that we were doing. And over the years, I've just gone on to see him at almost every single show, and we've built a little bit of a relationship. We're kind of friendly. So, uh, yeah, it's always love when I see Mac and, you know, sometimes we share text and DMs. But for all of these years, I've been trying to interview him probably for almost about 10 years. And finally, it occurred and I had asked him to be on the podcast. And he said, hey, I'm coming to New York in March as part of my tour. Why don't we do this in person? So that's that's kind of a weird thing for me. I've only done. One other podcast in person and we had microphones and it was a nice quiet setup. Uh, So this was a little out of my element. We decided to do an interview in the middle of Brooklyn, in the middle of the night. And I had some lapel mics that I had never used before that hooked up to my phone. So the sound wasn't super great. Um, And it seemed like the odds were against us the entire time. First, we started out in his hotel lobby where the security guard didn't want to be quiet. We told him we were doing an interview, and he was, like, obnoxiously loud. And you can hear that in the beginning. Then he starts playing music. So um, the first, I guess, four minutes or so of the interview after this intro, the sound is a little low and and kind of noisy. So we were forced to go outside at 2 a.m. in the middle of Brooklyn, um, which it sounds like, oh, you know, it's late at night. It's 40 degrees out. Who's going to be outside? Well, for those of you who do not know, New York City is the city that never sleeps. So you might hear some weird cuts. Uh, probably those weird cuts are the two or three homeless people that asked us for cigarettes or money or about the, the six trains that passed overhead from us, the crazy uh, Russian lady who was standing in the middle of the street screaming and cursing, or how about the car that parked two feet away from us while we were doing the interview, and the two guys got out of the car and they decided to have a conversation for the entire interview. So yeah, it's a little noisy. It's not the best sound quality that I have. I did the best I can, and it's it's more so of a New York City uh, soundscape. You're hearing the sounds of New York City at 2 a.m., in the frigid cold. Uh, we're both freezing. We're just standing there doing an interview in front of the hotel because the hotel, which will not be named, could not accommodate us. But anyway, it was an amazing time. I saw Mac Lethal that night, and as always, he put on a great show. So without further ado, and if you've never listened to this podcast before, welcome, and here is the podcast, Survival of the Artist with Mac Lethal. Enjoy. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Justin from the Survival of the Artist Podcast, and I'm here with my white whale, (laughs) Mac Winfield, all the way from Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri. It's good to see you, brother. Fresh off a Chiefs Super Bowl win. That's right. And pretty pretty close to a Royals World Series win over my Mets. I mean,
1: it was uh, a few years ago, and that's not a long time in baseball, as you know so I'm a, I'm a mets fan so it's yeah been like 30 years um yeah it's been longer than 30 years so it's uh what is 86 yeah 86 so it's uh man i know how it is you'll get one eventually <laughs> yeah when i'm dead what are they named the wheel ponds the,
0: the will yeah, the Wheel Pond, ponds
1: yeah man you they guys to are go. they gotta go and i don't know if you're a knicks fan too but it's 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 you guys are just Dolan. plagued with the Dolans and the, the Wizards. You threw out Spike Lee. Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw, so they threw him out? Or well, is I they, saw the whole thing with the VIP entrance. They tried. Yeah. You? Can't do that. He's not a legend. Good. No, no, no. no. They're not a not guy like Spike Lee. That's just that's unacceptable. Yeah. It's like throwing out Jerry Seinfeld or something from a Mets game. You can't. Who's
0: the Royals celebrity?
1: <sighs> Probably Paul Rudd, I guess. I mean, it's it's not really – we don't have – any like really old school celebrities that are like still repping the Royals. There's a few Kansas city people like Paul Rudd and hey, what is it? Eric stone street. I think is that actor's name.
0: Um, tech nine. Me. I don't tech know. Nine. Yeah. Yes. We'll say tech nine. We'll okay. say tech nine. We'll see you. Yeah. All right. So the point of this podcast sure. is to, I'm, I'm going to kind of paint a picture of your career, okay. figure out, and you will help us tell the story of why you've been able to be successful in this space as an indie artist. Sure, that's easy. It's so survival of the artist. So I'll give an intro okay. for you. You're good. You're and good. so this is Mac Lethal. He's been around for over 20 years. Yeah. Scribble Jam winner.
1: Yeah. Which was almost 20 years ago, oddly enough. In one year, that'll be 20 years ago.
0: A ton of projects. Yeah. Once signed to Rhyme Sayers. Sure. Had his own TV show. Yep. Wrote a book. Yep. Made the pancake rap. Yep. And what else am I missing? Is fully successful. Dude, I don't know. Myself, like a yeah, father, you know ninjutsu, ninjutsu master.
1: Yeah, jujitsu. I'm certainly not a master of jujitsu. I'm definitely oh, a father. Um, I'm not a master of being a father either. Um, yeah. Uh, successful YouTube channel. A couple of albums. I would say probably the 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 one thing that I pride myself in is is just the longevity and being able to do this for a long time and connect with certain people. I mean, man, it, it's it's a uh, it's it's been a treat. It's been 20 What was I, 17 when I started and I'm almost 40. I'm 38, so it's been 20 no.
0: 21 oh, years. Math. I just I just
1: 21 great. years. That doesn't seem right. It seems like it's been since 97. No, it's been longer than that. That's 23 years. 23 years.
0: What was that first project? Moon Thinker?
1: Yeah. I made that with a kid name. So here's how it happened. Um, I started freestyling a lot, and I made um, rap records in my mom's basement where I was freestyling. And um, there was a battle. There was a rap battle in Lawrence, Kansas, and uh, me and my dear friend, Approach, ended up battling each other in the championship, and um, that was in 1999. I was still in high school. I had to go to high school the next day, and I won that battle. It was a freestyle battle in Lawrence, Kansas, so I spent a bunch of formative years in my mom's basement freestyling. I ended up battling Approach in the championship of this battle uh, that was in Lawrence, Kansas, which is about 20 minutes from my house. We connected through Approach. I met cool DJ Rebel who made beats and he invited me to his house and we made an EP called the Moon Thinker EP and that was my first project. And we made it on a four track and we took the tapes and had them mastered um, and we reproduced copies and uh, put out an album so that was the Moon Thinker EP. That's and that was the first thing I ever did
0: okay so well since you brought up Battle Rank mm-hmm. do you miss it at all? not
1: at all in fact I, I wish that I would have never gotten involved in it really? um, yeah man it's not my thing I'm not a fan of it so no I, I, I definitely don't miss it um, It's it's just not a thing that I'm interested in I'm not a fan of the energy of it so
0: what type of like brain would you have to get into? Like, was it completely different? Obviously than writing. I don't know.
1: I think that the reason that I did battle rap was more for promotion. Um, it was just trying to get my name out there, but it was never something that I, I I don't really like watching it. I mean, sometimes I do. There's certain battlers that I like watching, but for the most part, man, it's just not really a thing that I'm interested in. I don't like the energy of battling. Um, I appreciate how it forces people to try to come with like really good, sharp bars and, and stuff, but it for me it's just, I want to feel, I want emotion, I want feeling, I want to hear pain, I want to hear stories about somebody's life, and right. I don't feel like you get that with battles.
0: And, and you did it legit though. The scribble jam was off the top. Yeah, it was off the top. You it was. I only had, from what I've seen, that one with dirtbag. Oh no, you had that surprise one with
1: thesaurus. Sure, and but that was just a diff. It was just yeah, just me and really my prepared. friends hanging out.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: it was. It's just not my thing, and and it 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 was never a mentality I was particularly into. I'm not a fan of it. Um, I was never really a fan of it. I don't know.
0: So if you were to break up your career in chapters, mm-hmm. like a book, mm-hmm. what are the chapters of, of your career?
1: I would say the beginning, which was just all the freestyling when I was in high school and, and learning how to write. Um, then learning how to record in my mom's basement, which was so the first one would probably chapter one would be from like 97 to 2000. And then the second chapter would be, like, the Scribble Jam era and just trying to capitalize off a of Scribble Jam from 2001 through about 2004. 2004 to 2010 would be me trying to tour with people like Sage Francis and Rhyme Sayers and Atmosphere and putting records out with Rhyme Sayers and, right. and trying to be a part of that whole scene and finally feeling... Like, I, ha- I was on, like, finally feeling like my name was going to be out there. Um, and then I would say from 2010, uh, there was a big transitional period. 2011 has been this more, like, viral explosion. And I would say that that, from 2011 to 2015... Would be like my viral years where I was like really trying to only go viral on YouTube and using my YouTube channel to try to blow up as big as possible. And and I had a lot of hits on YouTube, and but yeah. it wasn't anything where I felt like I was actually building a real audience that continuously and consistently yeah. came back.
0: It's like a one hit wonder. Sure.
1: Audience. Over and over again. Many times. 2016 to 2020 I feel has been a different era which has just been me finally figuring out who I am after almost 20 years what kind of music I want to make what kind of content I want to make on YouTube and actually starting to build an audience and a fan base that connects to what I do why they connect to what I do um and it's more just representing people's stories and and rapping about different things that I feel people can intimately connect to, and something yeah. that I feel is is I I think that it takes probably twenty years for an artist to really discover who they are and uh, the nuances in their voice, and in yeah. the first twenty years you're you're doing something creative you're pretty much taking your influences styles and and running with it and then I feel like after about 20 years you finally understand how to truly be yourself independent of everything that you've ever been inspired by and that's where I think I finally am I think that that's actually starting for me now I feel like after almost 21 yeah. I'm working on a record now that I feel like is the first time I've ever made a record that is independently and uniquely me
0: right so you you had a, a you're like kind of an in-between person where you're like in between social media and streaming and then very much a part of it yeah so you've experienced both sure so definitely you, so you think obviously now with all these other platforms it was an easier way for you to find your voice kind of because there was different ways for you to be creative
1: yeah, I mean, I think I think that it's all helped. Yeah, I think that we have such a different array of tools that are available to us now, and I've experimented and implemented all of them. I've experimented with and implemented all of them, and I feel like they've, I've, re, it's really definitely helped me discover who I am as an artist. But I think that I, I, I don't think that I want just to be clear. I don't discount any of those things, any of those avenues that I've used. I, I They've all immensely helped me develop as an artist. Do
0: you ever feel like you're a slave to content?
1: I did. I would say that that would actually be an interesting way to define one of the chapters, which would be the viral chapters. Um, you always
0: have and, to put something on.
1: Yeah, and I would say even some of the more recent years. And, and up until recently where I think I've decided to divorce myself from the concept of being a YouTuber or worrying about how many views something gets, which isn't easy. And a lot of content creators mm-hmm. can never get to that point because views ultimately determine your success. But I really genuinely don't care. I just want to make the best stuff that I can make and I want it to be meaningful and I want it to be representative of people's stories. And I want people to learn from it and grow from it. And I think that, yeah, I think that I have been a slave to content. I mean, I think it's hard not to be. I think if you get success, it, 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 it becomes this thing where you don't want to go the other way. And the only way to maintain that speed is you start figuring out different ways to play the game. The thing for me is I feel like I'm just starting. I don't feel like this is the end. If anything, I feel like this is the end of my formative years and the beginning of the actual years where I understand and have mastered my medium. I actually feel like as an artist, I am myself now. And most people can't say that. They, they'll say it, but I feel it. I really legitimately feel like if I made a record, you're not going to hear it and go, this sounds like so-and-so or so-and-so, or there's a little bit of this person or a little bit of that person. I really legitimately feel like I only know how to be myself now. And that's not an easy thing. It takes a long time to get to that point. And I don't even know if I was ever... Aiming to get to that point, so it's just one of those things where I feel like maybe being a slave to content for a while was a good thing because it helped me understand the importance of not being a slave to content, and I feel stronger and more sure of myself than ever right now.
0: Right. Okay. That's dope. So now, what about? Let's take it. Let's take it somewhere else. Sure. Like, what is the? For you, kind of like, what's the art behind touring? Like you're someone who's been doing it for so long. Oh, man! How to get guarantees? How to yeah? Get shows.
1: So touring, a lot. touring for me, I would say the biggest benefit for me with touring is is I have I have big numbers on social media, and I can do depending on the show. New York has actually been a tougher market for me, but I've, I've it's not just
0: you. Yeah, I, I think it's everybody. It,
1: yeah, that's what that's what I've heard. Unless I've heard, you're
0: like a superstar, that's what superstar, I've heard. Superstar, superstar. There's no point.
1: Yeah, I've it heard. Was. I've heard. I mean, it's good. To actually, for me, see, and that's a weird thing because it's like, for me, there's a point and it's not even financially. For me, I like coming because... I met a bunch of people tonight that were like, you changed my life. And it's like, well, I'm not going to not come to New York City just because the show might be, you know, have like a lower turnout than usual. It's a little more intimate. Sure. And it's fine. And I actually felt like when I was on stage, I felt like 100 percent of the crowd that was standing there was into the show. And I was like, this is great. Like there was never a moment where I was on stage tonight where I felt uncomfortable. or I didn't feel like there's a bunch of weird people watching. Like last night we were in Harrisburg and there was mostly fans there, but there were a few kind of drunk people that maybe stumbled in for a party or off the street. I didn't feel like that tonight. I felt like tonight it was everybody there was interested in the show and there was a separate room for the bar if they wanted to go drink and hang out. So tonight it felt good because I felt like I legitimately got connect with people and it's like all right the show is smaller it's a rougher place you don't get received as well out here because there's a billion different things going on in every direction but i still get to connect with people that i feel appreciate what i do and i'm not going to leave them out there was a girl that came up to me and said i helped her get over her stutter with practicing my raps and she showed me her art that she drew when she was listening to my music and showed me all these pictures that she drew and she was incredible like these incredible drawings and I was like, she, she said just these genuinely kind things to me tonight about all the things that I've done for her with my art and what I do, just coming to perform for her or you or my friends that were here earlier tonight, just doing that is worth it. It's not about how many people showed up and how much money I can get and all this stuff. That stuff happens. And if it's, you get some good money, good for you. Um, and I can tell you ways to do it. But for me, the whole entire concept of touring and why I do this is to get, connect with people that appreciate what I do. And that it, it, I feel like I, I serve a purpose in their lives. So it's like I'm not going to not come. I'm not going to be like uh, any time I go to New York City, the shows are a little rougher. I never look forward because last night in Harrisburg, you know, I felt like a god on stage. And then I come here and it's like huh, not, not so much tonight. It's about a fourth of the crowd tonight. But all right. And up until now, I don't think I was ever okay with it. But thats I just have different motivations now for the first time in my life. And I guess it's taken a long time. It's not about money. It's not about who's there. It's just about like impact. Impact, big or small, is still impact. And if one person comes up and says, man, thank you for the show tonight. I'm like, man, it's my time if I was sitting at a hotel watching TV or at home, doing nothing, granted I'd be with my kids and my wife, but if I was doing anything else, my time would have been wasted. I was here like maybe that person's life is going to completely change because of the show tonight, because yeah. it's something I did or talking to me or whatever it is. So I needed to be here. Yeah. In terms of the art of touring, I've never been a fan of touring. I don't like it. I'm not a fan of touring. I don't I try not to do it. I don't I'm not comfortable with the amount of hours and days and months you spend on the road it wears me down and it always has it's always been really hard on me i've never been a fan of it i've always been i I get over it very quickly like i will start a tour very quickly i'm not into it however if you want to make money touring some of the strategies i've used is big Build your social media presence. Really put some numbers that promoters can see so they can trust the idea that there's some people that are paying attention because those are – it's like a scoreboard. That will get you more money on the road wherever you go. Right. Um, one of the things I make, make it a point to do is I travel light in terms of personnel. I only bring one or two people with me so I'm not paying a bunch of wages and, and paying a bunch right. of daily salaries because then I go home to the wife – and I got some good money that we can live off of for a long time. And the other thing that I'm really into that I think I do pretty well, especially as a one-man operation, is merch. I, I have 13 different merch items. I have three different hats. I have seven different t-shirts, two different hoodies, three albums, and I sell a lot of merch every night. And people really respect the artwork that is on my merch because I really pay attention to detail and make sure I have the best artists do incredible designs for me. So when people buy my merch, it fits nice. It feels good and it looks cool. Yeah. And it's easy to sell because of that, because of the quality. It's just quality always sells. It's always making it a point to not be just okay with what you release but making it a point to be extremely extraordinarily proud of what you release i'm wearing your hat
0: right now i love it i'm wearing it right now that's it's right.
1: a quality hat
0: it's solid <laughs> wear it a lot yeah good uh, so is there in a bigger story to this when in the parlor you said uh, record label wouldn't sign you because you were balding is that like true no is that in the parlor yes, yes that's, that's in the
1: part. parlor that's not true that was a thing that i just said 'Cause sometimes you gotta rhyme shit. So I'm okay. just giving you an up close look. Like that that's not some okay. sort of confessional. I think a lot of that song was was me just trying to sell the idea of being an underdog and, and like in a position that wasn't as advantageous. So
0: So what okay, so what's the, the label thing look like for obviously you don't need one.
1: No, and I wouldn't ever. I mean, look, I, I had my experience with Rhymesayers, and they taught me a lot, and they're an excellent label. And I realized when I was on Rhyme Sayers that I just I can't be on a label, that I don't operate. There's artists that are meant to be on labels, and then there are people that are meant to run a one-man show and do everything themselves, and that's me. And that's what I'll always do. And I can sustain this operation. Like A, a tip that I would give people is like if you feel like... You and six other people are, are splitting up a small pie, buddy, throw those other five, six people out and that whole pie is yours. And something I've realized very early on is like you can make a good amount of money as a one man operation and you can just pay, you know, people to design something for you here, or tour manage for you, for you here. Yep. But if you don't got 18 people that are constantly trying to get in your pockets and, you you're just supporting yourself with it. and You take you know 90% of the profit, you can sit pretty. Like you don't need a huge operation and you can keep it very boutique. Like I'm gonna come out with an album or maybe a single and I'm gonna hand paint an individual cover on each individual copy so each one is unique and I'm gonna release them one at a time. So I'm gonna release one album a day with a hand painted copy. And I'm gonna release it for a higher price, a higher premium, and I just have more of a boutique fan base, and it's it, it works. And it's it's
0: I'm, I'm that's why I'm here. Yeah, I think you had the fortune too of like having all those years prior to having a family as well. Sure, and you had less risk. Yeah, also. definitely. Like, family is like high, a regular, high risk. Like a regular person with two kids and a wife. You know, I think I'm gonna live out my dream to be an independent rapper right now. Yeah. I, it not, would be not a good foolish. Idea. No,
1: and, and and the one thing is is my wife and I made sure we were in a really good position, uh, financially and everything, so we could have a kid and start our family and and we just work as a team and that would be that's a lesson in and of itself. And another part of the art is is have a spouse that supports your dreams and is a teammate. So if you want to have a family, you're going to be able to do it. If you're two, three kids deep, and you're leaving your you know six-figure job to go start being an independent rapper, and it's your first year into it, you got a long way to go, and you're gonna you're in for a rude awakening. It's not easy, and it I mean it's tough for me, and I've been doing it 20 years, and I'm successful by most people's standards. So it's it's. You just got to know what you're getting into. I've been doing this so long, and I have such a long history with so many people that I can maintain this, and I know that I'll always be able to monetize this. But this took decades. Right. Decades. You know. Yeah. You, you've seen it. You've been here for most of it. So it's it's. this wasn't a thing that I just started recently, and I wouldn't recommend anybody try to do that. Really build it one person at a time and make responsible not reckless decisions.
0: Right. What would you say is your biggest like rock star slash successful moment of your career?
1: Oh man, I don't know. Uh, There's so many. I would say that there was a time when I I charted on Billboard because of how popular I was on social media and I didn't even know that that was a thing that you could do and it was when the pancake thing and text from Bennett was happening at the same time. It was just number one on Reddit and number two on Reddit at the same time. It was the biggest video on YouTube for a month. And I had a blog that got like 80 million views in a month. So I had two enormous things. And it was just this explosion that I'm still monetizing and living off of to this day. I still benefit from it to this day. Um, I would say probably that, where like when I really, when I first really hit On a viral level, I remember feeling this level where I met Young Jeezy at the airport and I walked up to him and I asked him if he would take a picture with me. And while I was doing that, a person came up and approached us and he was like, do you want a picture? And the kid goes, yeah. And he goes, give me one second. And he was like, I don't want a picture with you. I want a picture with him. And he was talking about me. And Young Jeezy was like, who are you? I was like, I'm just this rapper. I had this video a couple days ago, blow up where I'm making pancakes. He's like, all right, I'm gonna check it out. That was probably the biggest rock star moment, but it wasn't to me the most important moment. Right. It might've been one of the bigger moments where I got a, a jolt, but I've had a lot of those. And at the end of the day, I still find that the people that show up to my shows and the people that support me, the people that stand in the cold and do interviews with me are the people that have connected to my records. You know, like. All the viral stuff, one of the things I've realized recently is it's like I could probably have done all of this without it. It's attracted new people, but it's not the reason people fuck with me. It right. isn't. If I go to shows and I start talking about it, most of the people are going to say, well, I, you know, that's cool, but I was here for Jake Plus Olive, Irish Goodbye, Congratulations, those records, like the real records that I actually put feeling into at the end of the day, people wanna, one of the greatest quotes I've ever heard is from Jay-Z and it was on a radio interview and he was talking about why he's been able to be successful long term. he was talking about the music industry is changing, people aren't buying physical CDs anymore. What does it take to be successful in the information age, in this era? And he was just like, listen, the most important ingredient to success is the people have to have an emotional attachment to what you do. Can't just be something that they think is fun, can't be a dance, can't be something that they groove to at the club. It has to be an emotional attachment, something that you connect with them on a passionate level. They connect with you on a passionate level. If you can supply that, and you can forge that type of relationship, you have a real fan. And Jay-Z is my favorite rapper. So I remember him saying that and being like, I get it. And I thought about, like, my relationship with his music, and I was like, I'm definitely emotionally attached to Jay-Z's music. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, just I think about being... I mean, dude, the song You and Me Walked in That Bar Earlier Tonight, and they were playing Can't Knock the Hustle. And I remember a, a girl broke up with me, Named Cassie Rose. Cassie, I love you. We're friends to this day. It was 20, maybe even 25 years Shout ago. Shout out Cassie. Shout out <laughs> Cassie. Cassie broke up with me. She was like, I can't I can't be your girlfriend. And I had to go to work the next day. And I remember I was devastated. And I put on Reasonable Doubt for the first time. I'd never heard it before. I got the CD for Christmas. And I'd never heard it before. And I put it in. And I was heartbroken. Cassie broke up with me. And I was on the way to my a job. The first day I was going to work at the Humane Society of Kansas City, Kansas, it's my first day on the job. And I was driving to work at seven in the morning, heartbroken. She broke up with me the night before on Christmas Day, if I remember. God damn it, Cassie. (laughs) And I turned on Jay-Z's Reasonable Doubt and Can't Knock the Hustle came on. And I remember it made me feel a little better. It just inspired me to be like, maybe life isn't so bad. Like it just put a little like, all right little oomph. All right, a little yeah. oomph. Like I'll be able to get through this, and it hurt. You know those early breakups when you're in your late teens, early twenties are painful, man. Those are the, some of the hardest ones. You just don't know what to do yourself, do with yourself. And I remember thinking back when Jay Z said that, and thinking about the time that Reasonable Doubt came on, and I heard Can't Knock the Hustle, and it, it pushed me through the, uh, the first day of a breakup. And he just gave me that confidence and that swagger, and I was like, you know what, he's right. And if I could supply that and give oh, that exactly. to people with my own story or their story that I could get them to be emotionally attached to what I do. Your
0: biggest regret or failure of your music career? Oh, Oh, man. Probably
1: anybody that I've ever had any sort of animosity with, whether it be Tom McDonald or Greaves or anybody, it was wasted energy to me. And it was something that I didn't want to participate in and wish I wouldn't have. And it, whether it was on a just a small, petty level or a large, making a diss track level, it always felt stupid to me. It always felt like this isn't why I'm a part of this. And it goes back to battling, which is something I never really wanted to be a part of. I'm not a fan of the energy. I'm not here to use my artistic abilities to compete with somebody. You're still kind
0: of in the back of your head, sometimes. Nah, man. Yeah, with Tom McDonald, though. No, I, I, you, I. You had to bust something out. That I, had like bust something. I had to bust something. I had to
1: bust something out, but I was just like, I never wanted to be a part of. Like, I would rather just hit that dude up and build with him and explain why I wasn't feeling whatever I wasn't feeling about him. But I didn't care. I just didn't. And it was like a thing where he has it's a lot turned of into
0: something. He
1: has a lot of fans and they'd be like, Oh, he didn't respond and it's like I didn't respond because I don't care. I don't. I don't I don't i don't, I'm not here to waste my energy on that. I don't have unlimited surplus of energy and I don't yeah. have an interest in having my legacy be attached to somebody that I don't care about
0: have you spoken to him at we all? have
1: and he's a nice guy and and i think the one thing that's crazy is about all the like a lot of the fans think it was more serious than it was like yeah. we have we've talked he's very friendly he really is and he, he said the same thing about me like we've, we've talked several times he's a nice guy i'll probably go see him uh, he's has a concert in Kansas City in April. I'll probably go pull up on him and say hi to him and meet him in person. I mean, it's it's you, all good.
0: You guys should do the tracks together. We we might maybe. I mean, he comes in his track room. Right hi Dave. Hi Dave. Hi Dave. Yeah. Hi Dave. It's very polite. Yeah, yeah.
1: So man, it's it's <laughs> I I you know I I just it, I think that those are my biggest regrets is ever spending any sort
0: of energy on it. So you've you've toured. You've done like fifteen projects, maybe more. No. Probably more Yeah The book The show All this What is next On your Goal I'm of work, accomplishments I'm working on
1: I want to make A great Record That is like Career defining I want to get back to that That's That's all 2020 is getting back to Is just Records Not YouTube Yeah I'll do YouTube stuff Here and there Not online Not views Not viral albums. I want to get back to albums and making great music videos that tell stories like Jake Plus Olive. Yeah. Turning into my father. I want to do stuff like that. And that's like 2020, maybe even of 2021. And that's a big part of why I'm touring. Because when I'm not touring, I need to do YouTube videos to right. keep the family afloat. Right. So I'm touring now so I can go home and make albums and videos and not worry about YouTube for a while. Right. Do a YouTube video here and there. But will be um, 2020 music.
0: Up until now though, what do you feel like is your album that captures what you're trying to do the most?
1: I don't know, man, because it changes every time I make one. Because every time I make an album, I'm like, this is my favorite album, my best album I've ever made. If you ask fans, a lot of them would say Irish goodbye. A lot of people love that record a lot of people have north korean barbecue that's, that's a lot of people barbecue. dude a lot of that's people dope. a lot of people say that like orig- it was an
0: original 11 11 yeah a lot of
1: people say that released 11 11 man it's it just it goes it, it it's i just put myself into these projects so much that i finish them the best way that i can and make them as good as i can and then I move on to the next one. Right. So for me, it's different because I don't attach to them like that, I, I'm i deep into them when I'm making them and right. then when I release it, I'm ready to let it go. And that's why I haven't put out anything in a few years because I just have all this this music, but I'm not, I don't feel like it's, it's time to let it go yet. I don't, right. it doesn't make sense to me to let, like it's not where I want it to be just I don't I haven't achieved the the vision yet. Right. And when I do, you guys will see what I've been working on and then a bunch of people will connect to that and I'll move on from it. This is an artist. You know what it's yeah. like. You make music like you yeah. get it? Like I rarely stay emotionally invested and, and attached to stuff. Once I release it, it's out of my life. And then I usually can't even go back to it without feeling some sort of discomfort like if I listen to an old album I just go I would do it so differently now Yeah, yeah. but that's the beauty of it is you can't you can't you, yeah
0: you can't it's it's, a, it's like a, a picture yeah it's a snapshot of your life and, and,
1: and you live with it and then some people will be like well I don't want you to change it like you know right. Nas may want to change Illmatic but don't touch that album yeah. you don't touch but he may, want to, he may hear stuff and go, I would do that differently. Because right. he's a different person now. Right. Like, he's not rolling around to Illmatic like we are. So it's I'm not saying, by the way, not suggesting... I'm using it as an example. I'm not suggesting... We know I, you're
0: listening, though.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, not only that, but I'm also not suggesting that any of my records are as meaningful as Illmatic. But I'm just saying, when I make my stuff, I make it to represent me then. And then when I release it, I'm saying... I'm making it, I'm, I'm calling a truce with this. Yeah. I'm shaking its hand and I'm saying, I wish you well, and I'll, I'll, a, a I kicking it out. out of the house. It's never allowed to come back, because once it's out, you can't change it. Right. I mean, you can if you want to, but people that's, have heard it. They that's think, just Kanye. Yeah, Kanye, it's Kanye, it? which was the thing that I, drove me crazy. Put it out <laughs> and it leave or it. Or don't put it out. And then put, do it some, nutshell. we know you're Kanye. Go do another one. Like, we know you got another album and you, you don't got to sit here and this isn't the and last tweak it. album. Yeah. Tweak it you do got to tweak this for the rest of your life. Like, put it out. It, the, the weird thing is I think Kanye just got hit with that the Instagram thing and he couldn't handle the criticism and what people were saying and the wave of opinions. So he just kept returning to that album, but eventually he let it go. And yeah. now when you listen to it years after the dust has settled, there's stuff that's great and there's stuff that's forgettable, like every other like project, every other like project. Every, literally every other project, just leave it alone, make it, let it go, move on. So I'm gonna do that. And then I'm gonna be like, I have no idea. I'm gonna release an album probably this year. People will love it. People won't like it. People won't listen to it. People will hate it. People will fall in love with it, whatever. And then I'm gonna go like, why did I sit on that for so long? I could have just put it out and made another one. It's just, it's stupid to constantly be so absolve, or absorbed by it. Yeah. What is the key to the survival of the artist in 2020? Reinvent yourself. Find unique ways that you can connect to the people that are willing to support your stuff. Patience. Don't try to be the biggest. Just whatever you can, whatever sort of money you can get, whatever you can get at the time, whatever fans you can get at the time, be thankful for it and do your best. Don't show up and get on stage to a small crowd and perform for the thousand people that didn't show up. Perform for the 16 people that did show up. Don't overlook them. They did their part. There you go. Longevity. It's all about longevity and it's all about reinvent yourself. Don't get attached to the old ways. I heard Will Will.i.am recently in interviews and say something that blew my mind. And I'm still having my mind blown now. We brought him up a lot. I know we did, it's strange. <laughs> but he said the music business has always been defined by the most current technology. There was a time when record players, the reason that record labels started is so they could create music to sell record players. It was never about records. Now, we're in a streaming service. We don't, I mean, some people use record players because they sound better, vinyl sounds better, it's a wider signal, but adapt to the times and always try to be on the lookout for what's next. All these people are starting YouTube channels now. Should've started your YouTube channel in 2013. It's, the, the new thing is, is, is yet to be determined yet. It's, right. it's, don't be a Johnny come lately. Don't do the shit that's hot. The stuff that's hot is hot because people were working on it for years. It's done already. It's already done. Look into the future. What's coming? Not like YouTube, everybody's all YouTube this. You, dude, YouTube is on its way out. Trust me. It's going it's, to... It is. It's... it's,
0: it's, it's apocalypse and everything it's, going It's just... This. It's
1: all this. They're going to keep refining it, and eventually people are going to go on to something else. If everybody thought Facebook was invincible, it's on its way out, too. Look towards the future. Don't get attached. Just always use whatever the most current form of... Technology is and use that to your advantage and constantly reinvent yourself and be as grateful as possible for the
0: people that will support you. Bam, it's Uncle Mac, baby. <laughs> it's Uncle Mac, baby. My
1: man. thank you so much.